0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the daily prayer part of our catechism, uh, we are taught to pray Psalm 145. Uh, It's the eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And that is most certainly true. The eyes of all living creatures look to the Lord to provide for them with everything they need to support their life. Everything that lives on this earth depends on God's merciful providence. For any need to be satisfied, God must first open his hand and give. And God takes care of all of His creation. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not one of them, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. And so that should comfort us as God tells us how much He cares for all of our needs. He provides, He provides out of His goodness. He gives because he is good. We are taught to pray this also in the catechism as we return thanks to God after a meal. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. He gives because he is good. He provides because of his steadfast love for us. The love that God has for us, it's immovable. It doesn't fade. It doesn't cease. It does not grow cold. It does not forget the objects of his affection, which are you. His love is never-ending. We then can be certain that that God, who cares for us, knows our bodily needs, and He'll provide what's best for us according to His time and His season. And that's the key. He only gives us what is good for us, what is best for us. He provides for us like a father for His children. He gives according to our needs, and He also gives an understanding of our weaknesses. So in the same way that I will not give my children gifts that they cannot handle, God gives with his own wisdom. I will not give my six-year-old a motorcycle, and I will not buy my six-year-old a broadsword. It will not go well. These gifts would be destructive to my children, even if they desperately desired them. I would not give them. If I did, I would probably be labeled a bad father. So it is with our Heavenly Father, He gives gifts out of His goodness and His steadfast love. He gives without any merit or worthiness on our part. He gives because He loves us as His own dear children. And He gives out of His own fatherly wisdom. But not all the gifts that God gives are the same. As we see with the miracle of the ten lepers, some gifts satisfy the need of the body, but there are greater gifts that can be received. Life and eternal salvation are the greatest things that we could ever receive from God, from the holy merit and the obedience of His Son. God gives us true righteousness, holiness, purity in life. He freely provides the forgiveness of sins that cleanses our consciences and opens us up to the kingdom of heaven. And St. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, he says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be rich in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, Paul says the same way that God provides seed for the sower and bread for the eater, he provides righteousness for his faithful ones as he forgives their sins. This is the greatest and most wonderful gift that we could receive from God. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the gift that we are called to seek first, to delight in, and ultimately find the greatest satisfaction with. As Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And so we consider this with the healing of the 10 lepers. Here are 10 men who were indeed suffering greatly. Their leprosy was a horrible disease. Uh, Leprosy is a bacteria that infects the nervous system, causing numbness in all of a person's limbs and extremities while simultaneously causing tissue degeneration. You can't feel your limbs, which is probably a good thing because basically they're rotting off of you. And so it was a disease that made a person sick And disfigured and more importantly it caused them to be ostracized there were fears that this disease was highly contagious and so the leper was forced out of friendly society they could not live in their family homes they could not enter the cities or the marketplaces There was a fear that this could pass along through someone's voice, so very often in some places they'd be restricted from speaking with anyone who was not already a leper. If they saw someone who was walking down the street, they would clap their hands and yell, unclean, so that person could avoid them. Most terribly, lepers were not allowed into the temple of the Lord. They could not enter the synagogues. They could not pray before God because their disease made them ceremonially unclean. They were outcasts, not just from society, but from God's church. And so when these lepers noticed Jesus coming toward them, they rightly cry out from their misery they cry out from their distress, they cry out from their illness, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. That's a good and fervent prayer given by the ten lepers. The lepers were right in calling out to Jesus. They looked to Jesus for their help, they placed their hope in his care for them, by doing this they demonstrated faith in what they believed Jesus to be. They called him Master. They asked him to do something that God alone could do. They acknowledged that Jesus was at least from God, that he was their master appointed to rule over them. And so as we see, Jesus is very quick to answer their cry for help. Jesus is a giver of good gifts. Jesus cares for these men in their need, and he provides. He saved them from their disease. He says, go show yourself to the priests. That's following the, the law of Moses that taught... That if a leper was healed he could show himself to the priest uh, who would examine if he was cleansed and then if the spots were gone they would offer sacrifices they would do a ritual washing and they would be lepers no more they'd be clean he would be free to worship he'd be social free free to socialize free to live as he did before he'd get his life back Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. They obey, and as they went, they saw that they were healed, and they rejoiced and praised God. Jesus healed them. That's wonderful. Yet, as we see, it's only half of the story. While they are all healed, not all of them return to Jesus. Jesus. Nine of the ten lepers go to the priest just as Jesus told them to do. They were declared clean. They offer their sacrifice. They undergo their washing. They return to their old lives, and they are blessed by this. That blessing isn't taken away from them. They had faith that Jesus could heal them, and when Jesus commands them to go to the priest, they go, and they are blessed in their faith. And yet they miss something, don't they? There is a greater blessing that Jesus had to offer to them. It is the blessing that surpasses all other blessings, and this was their failure. They forgot to see it. They were so preoccupied with the healing and purification of their bodies that they missed on the healing and purification of their body, soul, and spirit. This is all too common in the world that we live in that is very preoccupied with temporal blessings and temporal pleasures, and this is really that sorrowful nature of the world that we live in as people are often preoccupied with earthly health wealth reputation and prosperity that they forget what they truly lack and need more than anything else they forget that first and greatest gift that god has to give and we see this in how people behave as we look at the world around us what are we told that we need what are the most important promises that we cling to? What are the things that we often obsessively pursue and think about and talk about? What do people devote most of their time to? I will answer now and say that often it's not godliness or holiness or the righteousness that comes by faith alone in Jesus. Especially now as we live in the 21st century century people have trouble seeing themselves as anything other than consumers of products that make them feel happy the products all have promises if you eat this food you will be satisfied if you wear these clothes you will look important if you buy into this program or into this medicine you will be healthy If you watch this show, you'll feel better about yourself. If you go to this movie, you'll be socially relevant. If you vote for this guy, you will have more freedom and more money and more opportunity. The world makes all these promises. And we have declined to the point where most of the time people believe in them. So much of what people hope for is nothing other than maybe a little physical relief. We can see this often in our own prayers. As we look at the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer, God calls us to pray to him for a great long list of things. Yet, you know, very often when we examine our own prayers, most of them have only to do with our daily bread. Yet when we pray, how much of our prayers revolve around just give me what I want. Give me what I just think I need. Give me what I want to feel important and good and successful and happy in this life. That is because we, in this world, are forced to live in an intensely carnal existence. All of our human existence is viewed through the lens of pain and pleasure, comfort and discomfort, hunger and satisfaction. And these experiences often dictate most of our behavior. And don't get me wrong, it is not good to live in pain all day, every day. It's a tragedy when a person dies from hunger, yet we also live in a time of abundance that most of history couldn't even imagine. Leading cause of disease in our time and place is not malnutrition, it's overabundance of food. And this is often because we lift up earthly pleasures and say these are the utmost good. And when this is the case, we seek earthly means to provide for our earthly desires. That's foolish. For example, what do we do First, when an illness enters our life. Well, we schedule an appointment with the doctor, we look to medicine to relieve us from all of our infirmities, we hope the doctor's ability to care for us, and we put our confidence at what has been recently been called the science. We're told to trust the science because it's good, it's irrefutable, it will save you. When Christians Expressed the desire to gather for public worship during COVID 19, what were we accused of being? Deniers of the science. How dare you challenge the science? And why is that? Why was the world so accept? Because the world has carnal hopes, the world has carnal desires, and the world can only look to carnal things for relief. And when those carnal authorities fail them, they despair. That's One of the most jarring memories that I can recall during the whole year of 21, 22 or 2020, 2020 through 2021 is the time of COVID, is the despair that people had on their faces when they could not find an immediate and convenient cure for that disease. The same can go for us. if we can see how crestfallen and cheerless people can become when they're denied one of their earthly comforts. This is an observation I often have in myself. I get so excited over a meal or over a trip, and when those things don't go my way, what do I do? I get depressed. I'm sure this happens to all of us as we face disappointment. We get depressed. We get upset. We miss out on an earthly comfort or a bit of pleasure, pleasure, and we face some form of sickness, or we find an adversity in life, and our outlook grows immediately dim. But Jesus does help in these circumstances. He offers comfort. Yet Jesus is more than just a coping mechanism to help us deal with our earthly troubles. He is not the guy who makes me feel better when I'm sad, or only the guy who makes me feel better when I'm sad. If that were the case, I could find a lot of stuff to help me cope with life. I could eat donuts, and that would make me feel happy for a few hours every day. But he's more than that. He's my Lord and my Redeemer. He is my God who saves me and redeems me. It is never wrong in these circumstances, when bad things happen, when we're denied a pleasure, when sickness strikes, when any of these things happen, to join with the ten lepers in crying out to Christ, Lord, have mercy on us. And he does hear us. He cares for our needs. He gives as a good giver would give. He's the one who satisfies the needs of every living thing. He can cure illnesses, he can take away pain, and he does this often out of love for us. We can always pray. God will always hear our prayers. By all means, pray. Pray for everything, as St. Peter exhorts us to do. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. And he does care. He cares when you experience loss. He cares when you experience suffering. He cares when you experience illness or pain. He cares about the sadness of our hearts. Cast these troubles upon the God who is good and loving and who knows you. It will be good. Yet we also look to God to give us things beyond these earthly and bodily needs. And this is what sets up the one leper who returns to Jesus apart from the others. He was a Samaritan. This Samaritan, this foreigner, upon realizing that he was healed, he turned around and went right back to Jesus. This is not a coincidence. The Samaritan had more than just leprosy against him. He was a Samaritan, after all, a foreigner. He was a Gentile. He was an outsider when it came to being a member of the kingdom of God. He was despised, even probably by the other lepers. But this made his faith in Jesus all the more wonderful. All ten lepers had faith in Jesus' ability to heal them. Yet only one saw Jesus as someone that was more than a healer. Jesus is more than a healer of our bodies. He is the deliverer of our bodies and our souls. He is our Savior and our God. This is what the Samaritan realized as he was healed. As the leprosy vanished from his body, he engaged in true and faithful worship of the God who saved him. He goes running back to Jesus. He falls at his feet and he worships him. And he does this because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does for him. He turns back from running to the priest at the temple to bless him. And that is because there is cleanness and purity that goes beyond the purity of his body. And he knows one that can provide it. He knows that through the priest... The sacrifices can be offered. The priest can intercede for him as a sinner. And yet, there is one who has come to take away the sins of the world, who offers final sacrifice an ultimate interception there is a greater high priest who has come to redeem sinners not with the blood of bulls and goats but with his own precious blood that would be spilled for the sins of the entire world and he believes what will later be taught in the book of hebrews as it says every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which never fully take away sin But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all those who are being sanctified. You have a greater high priest. You have a greater sanctifier. You have a greater one interceding for you. And the Samaritan knew that. He comes and gives thanks to his Savior and his Lord. He sees his faith, and Jesus sees his faith and says, Rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Or more accurately, your faith has saved you. That's what sets the tenth leper apart. His faith looked more than bodily healing and comfort, but his faith trusted in the full redemption that Christ had come to work for him. He trusted that Jesus was the Savior who takes away the sins of the world. And so he returned to Jesus and he gave thanks. Saving faith and thanksgiving go together. They go hand in hand in this life. As we truly believe that we're saved from sin, death, and the devil's power, without giving sincere uh, and, and the devil's power, we must and do continually give sincere and true thanks. There is no ingratitude in heaven. There's only the praise of the Lamb who sheds his blood to redeem the people of God. That's the glory of it all. As that man came and knelt before Jesus, he entered heaven on earth. His sins were forgiven, and he stood before the God who saves him. This is the same faith we're called to have. As we look to Jesus for more than just earthly relief and earthly comfort for earthly promises, Jesus does not just comfort us so that we can endure our earthly problems. He upends our earthly problems and lifts us up out of them through the salvation he wins for us on the cross. He makes a place for us in heaven and promises us future glory in the resurrection of the dead. He is the one who conquers death. He is the one who crushes the serpent's head. He is the one who is crucified for the sins of the world. And He is the one who makes you more than conquerors as you live before Him and under His care. And that's why it's no coincidence that we end every church service with one of two prayers of thanksgiving. And why is that? Well, it's because we're thankful. That is one of the names we have for the communion meal that we eat every Sunday. It's called the Holy Eucharist. The word Eucharist means Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving meal. That's one of the oldest names we have for the Lord's Supper. It is the Thanksgiving meal. And that is because it was so obvious to the early church that when we were given the body and blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that true thankfulness would naturally flow forth. Because we have been redeemed from things greater than earthly struggles and earthly trials and earthly temptations and earthly suffering. But we have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven in which we enter in through the forgiveness of sins and rejoice in the gifts of life everlasting. That is a beautiful thing. We give thanks because of what we are given to receive from the hands of our almighty and beautiful Savior. Because Jesus is here. In that meal feeding us life and salvation Jesus does this for us every day through our baptism Jesus gives us that assurance every day as we dwell in his word Jesus saves and so we join the 10th leper we return our thanks to our God because he cares for us he cares for your body He cares for your life in this world. He provides for your life in this world. And for that, we owe him thanks and praise, innumerable and immeasurable. But he also cares for us beyond just the needs of our earthly body in this carnal life. He cares for us to bring our bodies out from death to life. He cares for us to forgive our sins and bring us into the resurrection of the dead. And so in that, we fall at Jesus' feet and we worship him, just like the tenth leper because we receive the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation, we hear him tell us exactly what he told that leper, your faith has saved you. And indeed it does. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the gift of Christ who is our Savior. We pray that you would bless and strengthen our faith in him so that we live lives of thanksgiving and praise of the one who delivers us. Help us to keep our hearts fixed upon Christ, so that we know that our hope is not of this world, but in the life of the world to come. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith, the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.